You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Brother Dennis Morris. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Thank you, team. Wow, that was beautiful. Beautiful. Um, this is our third week in the series, I Can't Wait. And we, um, we're going to cover a lot today. We're going to go from, from I'm going to give you an overview of the entire book of Revelation today. Um, uh, Daniel and Pastor, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Phil did the first five chapters. Thank you, guys. I get the next 17. Uh, but, but that's, uh, you, you know, that, that, that's, that's okay, uh, because it's important that we understand the Revelation. Chapter 1 of Revelation said, blessed is the person who reads this Revelation. Blessed is the person who listens to this Revelation. And blessed is the person who obeys this Revelation. So we're going to go through the whole book of Revelation, and then I'm going to come back Excuse me, we're going to go through uh, chapter 20. I'm going to do chapter 21 and 22 uh, next week. And then we're going to come back and I'm going to land on Revelation 12 at the very end. So there's four things the book of Revelation is trying to get across to us. And they're going to be put on the screen for you. And uh, if you understand these four things, I think it could give you great joy as you study and meditate on this book. The first thing the book of Revelation is trying to do for us is trying to give us an understanding of who God is and his great love for us calling us to know him. And you know what? We know God in part now, but the day is coming when I get to know him fully. And I have to tell you, I can't wait. I can't wait when the clouds are taken away, the dimness in my mind and my soul is taken away, and I get to see God for who he is, experience his love to the depth that he wants me to experience it, along with his joy, his peace, his kindness, and his goodness. So that's the first thing that the book of Revelation is trying to reveal to us. The second thing, the book of Revelation is calling the church into understanding their true identity and to enjoy that identity, to know who you truly are in God. The third thing the book of Revelation is trying to give you an understanding of your future. This is what's so cool about the Revelation. God doesn't want you and I to be naive and not understand. So when things happen, we'll understand what's happening. And I can't wait to experience that. And then the fourth thing, the book of Revelation, and I want to end today's message with this one, is God wants us to understand Satan, who he is, the cosmic warfare, what's going on, and who's to blame for the chaos in this world. Okay? So, with your permission, I want to pray. And then, and Pastor Phil tells me, don't do this. I'm going to do a machine gun. We're going to do a rapid fire going through the book of Revelation. But I believe we're going to do it in such a way that you're going to be very encouraged. And the fear of reading the book will be taken away. And you will start loving and enjoying this revelation. So would you pray with me? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we just walk through this wonderful book of Revelation, that you give us ears to hear and heart open, mind to understand. Father, I pray that you anoint my words. I pray that you anoint and touch our ears to hear. And I pray that you enable us by your spirit 
to fulfill and to do and to abide. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I ask this. Now, I grew up in a church, a particular denomination, that believed Revelation was historic. As a matter of fact, my, my uh, four-year degree in Bible was all about the, the teaching Revelation was historic. And it went something like this. Everything that happened in the first century was fulfilled. It was Revelation talking about that. And I never understood, why does God give me 22 chapters about something that happened 2,000 years ago? So as, as, as the 80s went on, I started exploring more things and reading more books. I began looking at this as more of a, a futuristic kind of book. And then things started making sense to me. So today, we're going to read this book. I'm going to go over this book. But we're going to see it in the future from that perspective. I know we may have some here who still see it as a, as a historic document. That's okay. You're going to glean a lot from this message, even if you have that belief. So chapter 1. I want to read, and I want to read several verses from each chapter, or, or, or points from each chapter. Chapter 1, it says, uh, this is John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Now watch the tenderness of this. But he laid his right hand on me. He said, don't, John, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Can you see that? Can you see God saying, John, John, oh, don't be afraid. Do you see the tenderness and the warmth? And that same tenderness and that same warmth is right here today as we walk through this book. And then look at chapter 2, verse 17. I love this book. He says, and this is in, in verse, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Yes, God, we want to understand. To everyone who is victorious, I will give you some of the manna. That's the spiritual food that sustains us, that has been hidden away in heaven. Now watch the tenderness of this. Watch this. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name. Now, oh, I love this that no one understands except the one who receives it. Do you realize you and I, God the Father, the, the Son Jesus, the Spirit, is going to give you and I a white stone, very personal, very intimate. On that stone, it's going to be given a name that only you and the Father understands. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I love that. I love that. And then chapter 3, Daniel went over... Uh, much of this in verse 20 to the church of Laodicea. Look at the intimacy here. Look, Jesus said, I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear my voice, I'm knocking. If you hear it, open the door. I'm going to come in and we will share a meal together. You see the intimacy? See, the Father today longs for you. He wants you. He's knocking at the door. He's saying, let me in. I've done everything. I can't please let me in. He's pursuing us. I love that. That's your God. That's the one who gave us the revelation for us to understand and to grow. And then chapter 4. Chapter 4, Pastor Phil talked about these two chapters about this great worship. Now, this is where things get a little bit tricky, Okay. In the very beginning of chapter 4, the church is now what's called rapture. You can read about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's taken up. Christ comes and the church 
leaves the earth, is taken up with him because the church is not going to be a part of the tribulation. Let me tell you at least three reasons, and I have many I could tell you. The first one is the great tribulation has to do with God pouring out his wrath on the curse and on the fall and on the rebellion of humanity. Guess what? For all those in Christ, the wrath has already been occurred, right? Because all the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And if you, by faith, put your life in Jesus, the wrath is no longer an issue. So the church is not going to be underneath the wrath of God because the wrath of God is going to be horrendous and it's going to be terrible. But you and I are not going to be a part of that. That's reason number one. Reason number two in chapter 4 and 5, when you're in the worship, you're being prepared for something. Guess what? You're being prepared for the great wedding of the bride and the groom. Right? And in Revelation chapter 19, you're going to come back and you're going to be a part of that wedding. And you're going to be a part of that experience. So you're not going to be a part of the great tribulation. Now, why does John have a revelation of this great worship experience? Well, let me share with you a couple of reasons. You and I are going to be caught up with Christ and we're going to have our new bodies. But guess what? I believe this with all my heart. We have to learn what it means to live in our forever world. And so what are we going to do for the first seven years of our time called the Great Tribulation? While the tribulation is going on, you and I are going to learn how to have a union and a oneness and an intimacy with God like you've never experienced before. You're going to see God in ways that, that you would never dream you could, and you're going to just bow down and say, God, you are so great. And he's going to lift you up and say, yes, I am. You're going to say, oh, yes, you are. And then you're going to have another experience in heaven, and God's going to say, I love you. And you're going to say, oh, God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. And the church is going to experience the fullness. In Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you're going to experience the fullness of what it means to be in union with God. Isn't that cool? And he's going to prepare your heart to do two things. Number one, he's going to prepare your heart, I've already said it, to be married to his son. But number two, and Pastor Phil talked about this a little bit in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 5, it says in verse 10, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. In Revelation chapter 19, when the church comes back with Jesus, the millennium is set up, you will reign with Christ on the earth. But chapter 4 and chapter 5 is your preparation. Now, chapter 4 and 5 goes on for seven years. Are you with me? And chapter 6 starts the tribulation. So you have two things happening at the same time. It's important that you understand this. Two things are happening. You and I have been lifted up. We're with Christ in heaven. We're experiencing, we're experiencing all the pleasures and all the joy of God. That's where we are while the great tribulation is happening on earth. And that's going to go for seven years. At the end of that seven years, you're going to come back with Christ. Everybody, everybody okay with that? Chapter 6. Everybody Okay. I told you we're going to go fast. Chapter 6. The great horrendous wrath of God that's been stored up because of the curse and the rebellion and the deceit of man 
that wrath is now going to be poured out on all humanity who chose not to come to know Christ. But let me say, I'm going to give you kind of a preview. The good news is during the tribulation, thousands, if not millions, are going to come to know Christ. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Now watch this. In chapter 6, verse 12, I want to give you a picture of just one of the, of the uh, uh, outpourings of the wrath of God. There's six seals, or seven seals, then there's going to be seven trumpets, and then there's going to be seven bulls. All that's 21 courses, if I may, of God's wrath on humanity. But you're not there. Okay? Now, let me show you how horrendous his wrath is. Chapter 6, verse 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal. Man, this, this guy breaks my heart. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree, shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and every free person, all, watch this, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains. They cried to the rocks, fall on us. This is so horrendous. They're saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne, that's our God, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who, who is able to survive? I want you to know, if you're not redeemed, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, today is going to be your day to get to know him. Because we don't want anyone. As a matter of fact, the last chapter of Revelation says, tell people about this Revelation, because we don't want anyone to be a part of this tribulation. Pretty horrendous. Look what happens in chapter 7. Now, this gets really cool. This I love. All of a sudden, we find out there's 144,000 people who give their heart to Jesus Christ. They surrender their life during the tribulation. Most of them will be the Jewish people. When they see the church taken up, they see the wrath. All of a sudden, they're going to be hit with, oh, no, I missed it. God, where are you? And then they surrender their life to God, and God captures their heart during the, tri during the tribulation. Look at verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. This is chapter 7, verse 9. From every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed, watch this, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. This is during the tribulation. The salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground. They worshiped God, and they sang, Amen! Blessed and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Then one of the 24 elders asked, you ready? Who are these guys? Who are these people who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you're the one who knows. Then he said to me, these, watch this, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made themselves 
white as snow. Wow. Even during the tribulation, God's pursuing the hearts of all mankind. My dear friends, do you know how much God longs for you? Do you know how much God wants you? Even though the church is on the earth, he pours out his wrath, and the purpose of pouring out his wrath is to bring people to repentance, to bring people to a place where they surrender their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then according to, uh, 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 concerning that group of people, it said in verse 17, for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to a spring of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear. So now we're at the end of the seven seals that was open and Jesus broke each seals. Now we're going to begin the seven trumpets in chapter 8. And then chapter 9, the trumpets go on. And then chapter 10, it goes on. And then in chapter 11, we're on the tribulation, God allows two witnesses to appear. And these two witnesses are people who are proclaiming again the gospel and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's sovereignty raises up two people. He gives them supernatural power. And the purpose of these two witnesses is to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? And so they do that, and many people come to the Lord. And then it says, when they completed their testimony, okay, the purpose of what God wanted them to do is now done. They completed it. Chapter 11, verse 7. The beast that comes out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them, and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where their Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, and by the way, this could not happen except in this time now, with technology now, all peoples, Tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. Now watch this. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Watch what happens. <laughs> This is so cool. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them. And they stood up. Tears struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here! Come on! We're done! And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake. All those people who were gloating over the killing of these two witnesses. And everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Wow, is that not cool? Now, chapter 13. We're now in the middle, or chapter 12. We're now in the middle of the tribulation. Is this helpful to you guys? I hope it is, because I, 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 I kept going back and forth. You know, there's a lot of stuff to say, you know, but I want you to understand the revelation. So Re Revelation chapter 12, we, we are now at the three and a half period of time. We're three and a half years into the, to the revelation. We have a flashback where it shows Satan coming down to destroy the nation of Israel, and the purpose of destroying the nation of Israel 
was to stop Jesus from being birthed, all right? And then it says in verse 3, Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads. Remember the, the number seven? Not perfection, but completeness. It means that this dragon has complete knowledge. See, Satan is very wise. He understands. He knows how to tempt you. He watches you. He has watched humanity for years. He, is, he, he knows how to uh, uh, deceive us. Seven heads and ten horns. He's got strength and power with seven crowns on his head. Where did he get those crowns? Royalty, diadem. He, gave it to, he got them in the Garden of Eden because that's when we fell and we gave the rule of this earth over to him. So this is, the, this is Satan. This is the beast. And it says, His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. Okay. So he goes after the son, goes after the woman, which is, according to Genesis chapter 37, that's Israel. Jesus is born, and now it's fast forward to three and a half years, right in the middle of the tribulation. Look at verse 7. Then there was war in heaven. Guys, did you know that there's going to be a war in our future that's going to be in heaven? Did you know that? It says there's war in heaven. Now, by the way, I just need to say this. God doesn't war with anybody. God doesn't fight with anybody. God just wins. The war is going to be between Michael and between Satan. Now watch this. Then there is war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. No kidding. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, this ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. I may, ju I may just go ahead and do what I was going to do at the end of today right now. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. Please hear this. Please hear this. Satan is thrown down to the earth. He's now out of the heavens. Right now we know he's in the heavens. He's in the spiritual forces. He's in the principalities of this dark world. We know he's everywhere. But now he's cast down and he's only on the earth. It says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It's come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God, our God in the authority of his Christ. For watch this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. He's the slanderer. What he's doing right now is saying, look at Dennis. Did you see what he did? That's what he's doing right now. Let me tell you what, so let me tell you one of his ploys. This is Satan. He tempts us and he says, you know what? It's okay, go ahead and do that. That's no big deal. Well, who's going to really know? You know? Go ahead and, and you fill in the blank, whatever that is in your life. Go ahead and do that. No, it's going to be fine. It's great. And then you do it. You ready? Then he comes over and he says, God, look what they did. I can't believe that. And they're yours? <laughs> See, he tips you. Then he accuses you before the God, before our God, and then he slanders you. That's his ploy, guys. That's what he does. But guess what happens here? Are we ready? In verse 11, and they have defeated him by the blood 
of the land. Look what he did. I can't believe he did that. God, look what he did. I was... My son's covered up. They're in Christ. They're seated in heavenly realms. I have forgiven them for all their sins. They have overcome because of that blood, because by faith. See, this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not that you have to clean up your, your life, not that you have to be perfect, not that you can't make wrongs. The good news of the gospel is by faith, you receive what Christ did at Calvary for you. And that blood that he poured out for you, you received it by faith, and you said, you surrendered your life, you bowed your knees, and you said, Christ, thank you. I want to be yours. I want to live for you all the days of my life. And you overcome. Not because you have a perfect life. Not because you don't make mistakes. Not because you don't sin. But you overcome because you are in Christ. And you ready for this? Every single sin for those who are in Christ, past, present, and future has already been forgiven if you're in Christ. And that's what it means. That's what it means when he says you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, my friends, that's us. And then he says, and by their testimony. Now, this is where spiritual growth takes place. When you understand your identity in Christ, when you understand why that blood, then, then your word of your mouth, your testimony, you begin saying, yes, yes, I've sinned. Yes, I'm sorry, but I am God's. And the more you do that, the more the sin you struggle with becomes less and less and less and less. By the way, confession of sin, it's a good thing. You know why it's a good thing? It's confession of sin has nothing to do with forgiveness. It has to do with cleansing. It has to do with being clean. I remember in the mid-80s, I got with three pastor friends in my mind, and I, and I asked them, we, we went out to a place with a cross in the woods. We were in Texas, and I, I said, I need to spend some time, and they all want to know how much. I said, I don't know. It could be 10 hours. So well, what are we doing? I said, I got a lot of sins to confess <laughs> because I just want to get rid of a bunch of crap. I just want to confess it all. I was already forgiven for all those sins. Those sins were already underneath the blood of Jesus, but they were still impacting and hurting my life. So I wanted to confess it off me. So I can hear the word of my testimony is that that's no longer a part of my life. I had to work through things I did, things I experienced. I wept and I cried and I got it out. And that wasn't the first time I've had three times in my life. There were significant times in, as a man where I've had to pour out my life to other men and confess every sin, single sin. I know not to get God to forgive me, but I wanted my testimony to be one of holiness and purity, and I wanted to be clean. Is that helpful to you? Yes. It says, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. See, that's where commitment and loyalty comes in. That's where we say, God, I'm yours no matter what. Valleys, mountaintops, I'm yours. I love you much more then I love my own life. Okay.
Now let's go to chapter 13. I've got six minutes to cover a few more verses. Um, chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 14. And we'll just skip over it and go, go down to verse 6 in verse 14. I'm moving, moving along here. But I want you to read this. I hope everybody goes home today and reads the Revelation. Read the Revelation. Be blessed by this. Look at verse 6. And I saw another angel flying through the sky. Isn't that cool? I can't wait to fly. <laughs> yeah, you know the reason I know I'm going to fly? Because in Isaiah it says, I'm going to mount up with wings like an eagle. I haven't done that yet. It says, I'm going to run and grow weary. I, I run and I get weary. It says, I'm going to walk and not faint. When I walk too long, I faint. All right, the day is coming. So another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world. Now watch this. Here's God pursuing the people again, pursuing them, longing for them, wanting them. Here's the angels proclaiming the good news, the eternal good news to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And look at what the message is in verse 7. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will set his judge. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and sea and all the springs of water. And then chapter, so, so there, you, you see this. You see these little flashes during the tribulation of God doing something, calling people back to himself in the midst of horrendous, horrendous things. And then chapter 15, the Song of Moses says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were having the, holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. This is good news. The wrath is about ready to end. It's about ready to come to completion. I love this. He saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast. So in the tribulation, you're going to have, we're going to have literally millions of people. During the tribulation, he's going to be victorious. Some of them will be, will be martyred, and they'll be taken up, and we already saw that. And all, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding hearts that God had given them. Now look what they say. Great and marvelous are your works. O Lord, the God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. See, so repentance is happening towards the end of the tribulation. And then in chapter 16, verse 8, then the fourth angel poured out his bull on the sun. Look what happened. Causing it to scorch everyone with his fire. You know what? Doesn't that sound so mean that God would do that? He's telling everybody what he's going to do. And he does what he does to get you to bow your knee to him. Now, he wants you to come by grace. He wants you to come now with an open heart because of his son, Jesus. But the time's coming where he's going to pour out his wrath to give you another opportunity to surrender your life for him. So even his plagues and, and his, his uh, justice and his wrath that's being poured out is a gift of love. Do you see that? Now watch this. I'm sorry for saying watch this so much. I just get so excited because I'm watching it. Because <laughs> I see this happening in my eyes. Verse 9. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. 
and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. Now watch this. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Pray tell me, how does that happen? How do you have such a hard heart that even in the midst of God's judgment, you still cannot turn away from sin and repent and receive his grace? God wants us. He longs for us. All right. Fall of Babylon, chapter 17, all that cool stuff. Uh, 18, have fun reading that. We're going to go to chapter 19, and then we'll be done. Maybe. Okay, the church, is, the church has been in heaven for the last seven years, right? Worshiping, preparing themselves to be the, the bride of Christ, prepare themselves to reign with Christ. Look what happens in verse 7 in chapter 19. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride. This is what has happened the last seven years. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. So the wedding feast happens. Now Jesus is coming back. In verse 11, Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges, judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire on his head, were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, that's you and I. Why do I know that? Because we're dressed in the finest of pure white linen from the wedding that we just went through. Followed him on white horses. In verse 19, then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and the armies gathered together to fight. Wow. Go down to verse 21. Just three verses later, their entire army was killed. <laughs> See, God who spins the galaxies by the power of his word and holds the molecules in my body together by the power of his word. He doesn't fight. He just breathes, and what he wants done gets done. Amen. The entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of one riding the white horse, and the vultures uh, all gorged, uh, gorged themselves on the dead bodies. All right, now, chapter 20, we get into the thousand-year reign. Uh, worship team, come on up, please. We get into the thousand-year reign. Satan is now bound up. Read this in verse, I'm going to just go over the story. He's, he's bound up. He's put away in a, uh, in a room, so to speak. The church comes, they reign for a thousand years on all those who were redeemed out of the tribulation. There's a great multiplication of the earth, a great population comes, and in a thousand years Jesus reigns. Well, why does he have to reign for a thousand years? Because there's several prophecies, especially when you get into Revelation, there's over 500 prophecies uh, about the second coming of Christ. 300 of them are mentioned in terms of uh, part of the revelation. But part of the prophecy is that Jesus, uh, his knowledge is going to go throughout the whole earth and everyone's going to be under his justice. Well, that's going to happen for a thousand years. Several people are going to know Christ. People who are born are going to know Christ. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is loosed, the Bible says, just for a short period of time. The reason why 
is that those who surrender to Christ, God wants to make sure that you know that, that, that you are truly his. And then Satan is then bound up, thrown into eternal hell, okay? and then the new heavens and the new earth occurs. Whew! That was a lot of talking. That was a lot of talking. Now, I want you to love the Word of God. I want you to love the revelation. I want you to delve in there, dig in there, love it, because it's filled with God's grace and His mercy and His good news. But all those here today who have never surrendered your life to Christ, I got good news for you today. It's not too late. And I'm not going to ask for an auto car or anything like that. It's a very personal thing. But I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, surrender your life to Him today. And you won't ever have to experience the tribulation. Come to know the beauty of God right now and the grace and the majesty. Let's all stand up, please. The grace and the majesty and the beauty of our God. Oh God, we love your word. We love your word. We love your word. We love your word. We want to learn your word. We want to grow in your word. We want to abide in you. We want to be fully surrendered to you. We want to give you everything we can and live our life for you. So Father, I pray that as your word went forth today, that you would touch our hearts and help us to fall in love with understanding the revelation of what it is you want us to know. And that we can grow more in the image of your son, Jesus. We love you, Father. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.